Hey, Shay! Shay, do you think that, like, traders, traders on the new floor of the New York Stock Exchange, like, do you think when they heard this song, they were like, wow! Wow, this song is about us! Right? Shay, right? Shay, get it? <laughs> Shay, get it? So Ian, I don't know what the fuck that was, but I have a very important question for you. Actually, regarding the New York Stock Exchange, are you ready? Oh my God, yeah. I've, after one entire week of research, I'm ready to take on the world, Shay. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, obviously, through one week of research, there's no way you <laughs> missed this very obvious question. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> so, um, what what do people actually do at the New York Stock Exchange? They yell. They yell at each other. All mm. right. They're, uh, the, each of them have prepared a recipe um, for that night's potluck and they're all in competition and uh, there's one guy who um, they call him the, the master chef and he uh, accepts the recipe that he's most impressed by. And then this that is night, all everyone, wrong. All wrong. I'm pretty sure this is correct. No. <laughs> You're looking pretty silly right now, Shay. No, it's absolutely all wrong. Ian, I'm going to give you one <laughs> more chance to try again. Do you have a better right. answer? I think, aren't they uh, there? Oh, God, I, I feel like I learned this from like the early history of Wall Street this week. They're, um, God, are they not auctioneers? Uh, maybe they are kind of or like, aren't they auctioning off prices and people are, are like trying to buy them on the floor for that price that they're being offered at? So historically, yeah, historically, people are going there and that's where they're actually trading. Like you're meeting someone else and like, I have stocks. Will you buy them? And someone will be like, yes, I will buy those. And then you're, you're they're making a deal there. That seems ridiculous. Yeah, like, so, I can't believe this is still kind of a thing that that, that looks stupid. Well, that's where it's it is stupid because it's not actually a thing anymore. So as of 2016, no one does that at the New York Stock Exchange. It is literally uh, just it's for a dinosaur. Show. No, it's literally, you go there, it's a showroom. No one actually goes and trades at the New York Stock Exchange anymore. It's all no done way. electronically. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's the deep, dark secret of the New York Stock Exchange. And it's it's basically just for publicity stunts and for photo opportunities. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go ahead and start the show. <laughs> Welcome to Camp Reeducation, an immersive boot camp into the world we thought we knew. We are your hosts, Ian and Shay, beginning our two-week immersion into the world of Wall Street. and welcome. We have so much in store for you today. For some reason, we've decided to tackle the world of Wall Street. Uh, it's a weird world. It's a wacky world. And it's the world where you'll find your two favorite Campry Education hosts, Ian and Shay here. Ian, how are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not entirely sure. I'm really not sure. This is uh, I'm not, not a big fan of this week mm. so far, you mm. know? Um, uh, I don't like what I'm learning. Uh, I don't like the people involved. I, I literally made a list of people who I, f I hate. <laughs> and uh, I'm happy to read it for you. Maybe not now, maybe but later. But that's more or less how I'm doing. How about you? I'm doing probably a lot better than you are. I'm angry. You know, classic episode one. I'm just angry at everything. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this Listen, for any for anyone who found us through the astrology podcast with Chris Brennan waiting to see uh, like on the edge of their seats. Are they going to come at Wall Street as hard as they came at astrology? The answer is no. <laughs> coming even harder, baby. Yeah. Woo! 
Yeah, this is uh, Camp Reeducation Unleashed, the uh, unleashing. <laughs> but uh, no, so um, obviously we've spent the last week learning as much as we can about Wall Street. Uh, and actually, in, in a rare in a rare turn of events, we've done this a little differently than we normally do. Typically, we do this as um, a team, as a team, and we talk a lot as we go through what we've been learning and we share and whatever. But this week, we didn't really do that, and that's because you're way dumber than I am about this. You're, you're a much <laughs> stupider man, and I am I'm smart, I'm I'm funny, <laughs> and I know what I'm talking about. So, so you had a lot of groundwork to cover just to catch up. Is that you know, right? And to think, to think in my captain's logs, I called you handsome. Well, it turns out <laughs> handsome words hurt. Okay, and they mm, hurt mm. bad. Um, no, you're. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. No, you're not right. <laughs> Fuck you. I'm just like, no, you're right. <laughs> you you went out that differently than I thought you were going to. You came in hot like a dickhead. Uh, all right, so uh-huh. no, fuck you. No more compliments for you, you uh, piece of shit. All right, anyway, uh, what what Shay was going to be right about when I thought he was going to say was that Shay has a master's in finance, which is always like an interesting fun fact for anybody that meets him and is like, but uh, you're such a fucking idiot. I don't get it. <laughs> um, well, that's not and, right. I don't have a master's in finance. I have a bachelor's in finance and a master's in international business. Let's just well, set why the are we, Why are you even listening to you talk about this subject at all? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> right. Get the fuck out of here. All right, thank you. Thank you all so much for this opportunity. I that's appreciate it. That's right. Don't the... even know. Okay. Don't thank anyone. Okay. Just get up and get Later. the fuck out of here. All right, everybody. Me. So now that Shay's gone, it's for Ian's sure. turn to talk to you about the world of finance, of which he knows absolutely nothing. Joining us is... Uh, Decidedly not Shay. It's a man named Gruff McScruber who sounds a lot like Shay and uh, whom I will call Shay for the remainder of the program. Shay, it's great to have you back. Thank you for having me here. It's so cute to talk to you about the finance today. You're gonna talk like that the whole uh, the whole episode, eh, Mr. McScruber? Mr. McScruber knows no other way of speaking. I hate this. All right, anyway, moving on. So, <laughs> Shay, why should anybody listening to this camp give a fuck, okay? Like, wh- why Why are we doing Wall Street Camp? Why do we think it's important? Oh, wait, we didn't finish talking about why uh, we did this differently. It's because I don't know anything about this. I'm, I'm what the, uh, you know, masses would call financially illiterate. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, from what we've learned so far is that probably most of you listening are also financially illiterate. And ouch. That, ouch. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, what am I trying to say? It's not well, a, it is an attack. It's, it's not intended to be one, but it is. Well, it's not my fault you're so dumb. Get a fucking bachelor's in finance. <laughs> it's, like, it's like watching somebody burn their hand on a stove. Go, ow, and then put the hand back on the stove. It's like, look, I don't want to insult you, but you're dumb. Uh, no, we, we don't actually think you're dumb. No, I think that this is obviously like an institutional issue, but the Americans are becoming less and less financially literate. But it makes sense because financial markets are also getting more and more complicated. So even understanding like the bare minimum of what is happening is increasingly hard for Americans. But uh, yeah, you found some statistics, Ian. Uh, you, you saw that 57% of people are financially literate in the United States, and that number is going down. And, and the number's is going down, and it's only 33% worldwide, which is fucking alarming. And uh, these numbers matter. Like uh, uh, in one study that I found, a lack of financial literacy apparently cost Americans a total of more than $307 billion in 2019 alone. Wow. That's insane. If numbers could speak, they would say, this fucking sucks. Um, And I think it's important, too, especially for for our generation, um, whose 
you know, a general. This is this isn't news to anybody, but I mean, it bears repeating. Uh, who's drowning in college debt? Who many of us are living paycheck to paycheck because of all the debt that we're in, or the fucking cost of uh, rent or healthcare or uh, you know transportation. Um, and we're the first generation that's uh, supposed to be poorer than our parents, which it, it feels like a big fuck you from uh, the generation preceding us. Yeah. And so and one of the things that like I've spent a lot of this past week thinking about is is exactly this, like this this growing inequality and not only in income. And I think a lot of people talk about income inequality, which is also important, but I think even more so important going beyond income inequality is talking about wealth inequality. And as of as of 2019, uh, one study at least shows that we are the fourth least equal country in the world. Now there's a lot that goes into that number. Like I don't want to just like throw that out there. I mean, a very equal country happens to be Ethiopia. It's just everyone there is equally poor. So there's a lot that goes into that. But nonetheless, the, obviously we can probably do better because countries like South Korea are slightly more equal than Ethiopia and obviously they're all they're also a well-developed country. So um, so th there's a lot that goes into this. We might even touch on uh, Gini coefficients, which is the metric that they use to measure inequality and equality between nations and whatever. I, we probably won't touch on that much more, but uh, now, now at least you've heard of it. Um, so I guess, uh, Ian, bef before we hand it off to our, our past ignorant versions of ourselves with ignorance in a bottle. Is there anything else you want to say? Um, no, uh, let's say that uh, this has been a delightful preamble. It's been great sitting here with you, McSchmoogledoogle. And And uh, no, let's uh, hand it off and dive into this wacky world of Wall Street finance. More like a pre-ramble. All right, <laughs> start the thing. <laughs> what? Because <laughs> you were rambling, get it? All right, no, start I the thing. <laughs> Did I fire you? Ignorance in a bottle. to Ignorance in a Bottle, the only ignorance time capsule where we lay bare our biases and preconceptions long before our immersion to showcase exactly how dumb we sound before consulting the almighty internet. Because after all, we're only this ignorant once. Hello, Ian from the past. It is I, Shay from the past. We are here. We're about to talk about a thing. Thank you for the handoff, our future versions of the self. Ian, what do you think you know about Wall Street? Well, Shay, if there's one thing I know about, oh, fuck. Who is that? You know what? Uh, in preparation, in preparation for this camp, damn it, fuck! I really thought that was gonna be better. I was, so, I was like practicing it before. I was like, yeah, I can't wait to fucking show Shay my Gordon Gecko. That that sucked. Oh, um, okay. No. In preparation for this, I know I didn't, I didn't do any research, but what I did do was kind of get my feet wet with the whatever cultural understanding of. Wall Street, you can find it, 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 via media. And um, I, I watched the movie Wall Street with um, uh, Charlie Sheen and Michael Douglas, uh, that 1980s classic directed mm. by Oliver Stone, um, which is funny because I'm pretty sure he did uh, like Platoon or like a bunch of Vietnam movies before that. So it just has this like weird, like similar vibe. Like at any minute, I'm expecting like Vietnamese shoulders to jump out and start trading stocks really quickly. <laughs> That's amazing, Ian. I did not watch any videos. I am far less prepared than you, but I'm excited to hear what you have to say, I don't Ian. I that counts as preparation. All right? I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I watched a bunch of movies with Michael Douglas. I'm trying to be kind to you, Ian, for the sake of you and our listeners. But, um, Ian, tell me. Whatever what you want to call it. God, dear. all right, I'm just going to, uh, okay. Go ahead, Shay. <laughs> well, uh, I want you to tell me, Ian, um, what, what is one 
thing. So we both have our, our little list here of just ideas we have about uh, what we think we know about stocks and Wall Street and trading and all that stuff. Uh, tell me, tell me, what are you thinking? What do you think you know? This is, uh, I think, going to be a tough one because I, I have held zero interest in the stock market. Like I bought in, you know, it's funny, like the, the, the whole point of this stupid fucking show that I love but um, <laughs> why am I calling our own fucking program that? Um, it's just like, uh, we, we, well, we kind of like attack identity, right? And it's mm. like, okay, well, like my identity is built on a certain set of beliefs. And I, for the longest time, was the fucking uh, art dickhead. And um, I was, you know, part of, part of that identity is, is thinking the stock market is, is stupid. Mm -hmm. So I, I, like, I'm just like, oh, you trade stocks, bro. Uh, how about you try reading some fucking poetry instead? Mm. Um, so I couldn't tell you the first thing about anything. Like literally my number one isn't a, a what I do know. It's what I don't know. And it's my mildly alarming. And it's, uh, I don't know how to trade stocks at all. I wouldn't know where to begin. Mm. Like, do I talk to my bank? Do I go to stocks.com? I just learned about Robinhood through the fucking Reddit thing. And apparently I can't trade stocks on that anymore because I'm a poor person and I'm bad for the economy. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. Uh, that is act. That is fascinating and alarming, Ian. That's, that's <laughs> okay. But as, so someone, as someone, you know, you who does trade stocks, how alarming is that? Like on a scale of one to ten, as a thirty-two-year-old man, how worried should I be that I don't know how to trade a stock? Well, you know what? I, I normally think of ourselves as like pretty average dudes. So I'm imagining if. If the average dude is like you more than they're like me, then I'm alarmed. <laughs> then those, this whole Reddit fucking thing makes sense a lot more to me. They're like, oh, this is doing uh, something's happening over here. Shut up and take my money. <laughs> you know? So, uh, so, yeah, that is a little bit alarming. And it actually like, I don't know, it sort of ties into my first Wall Street idea. And that's that it's and I, you know what? What I wanted to say about this idea was, first of all, it's like. It feels like a, a, a stereotype in itself and it's really cliche and like, I don't really know what to say. I feel like everything I think I know about Wall Street are basically cliches that I just happen to really believe about them. Um, and maybe that's because I studied finance and like you just hear them a lot more or maybe it's just because they're stereotypes that ring true. Regardless, my first one is it's gambling with the entire economy. And despite what anyone tells you, investing is always somewhat gambling with the idea of the economy behind it. And I hold this opinion and I hold this belief, and I know that very smart people disagree with me, but anytime I've looked into it, I assume, I still, uh, not, no, I don't assume, I feel like they're wrong. Like that, they're, that they, they have their, um, their horse on another, or no, I'm sorry, they have their money on another horse and they need it to be true that it's not just gambling when it really is. Uh, you know, I'm going to skip my second point and go straight to my third point. Like everything I know about the stock market comes from media. And upon reflecting and realizing that, I grew extremely alarmed, which is why I like it. And it's funny too seeing the evolution of of the media portray the stock market, especially. And I'm going to say some. I'm going to just start spewing some bullshit here, but especially with like the financialization that we saw during like the great stabilization of the '80s, 
um, uh, there was this kind of like idea of like, oh, this is, uh, you know, ooh, this is, this is tapping into human, uh, negativity, this is mm, greed. And that was like the whole thing of wall street, right? Like Michael Douglas's character is like, here comes, here comes a fucking impression, baby. <laughs> greed is good. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> We might have to no, censor it's that. Like, so it's just like it's, it's it's weird because it's like this this cultural idea of I'm not really making I'm going to try to get on like a train of thought here, but I, I mean like mo, I feel like what most Americans maybe who don't have money invested in the stock market think of the stock market is that oh it, it's an avenue of greed it's you know avaricious it's basically where like bad people go to make money and sometimes they get caught and then they go play tennis for three years um in a in a walled off gymnasium and then they come out and they go around america giving speeches a la uh the guy that the wolf of wall street was based on or something jordan uh macaroni um you do you know who i'm talking about you know his name right i do not know who you're talking about what is probably not jordan macaroni i can i can (laughs) say that uh, with, with full confidence so you said something in there that that stuck with me immediately, and that was... Was it the uh, word avaricious? I was thrilled that I landed <laughs> that little pirouette. Uh, why don't you go ahead and on the spot just define that for the listener? Greedy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't know the definition at all, so I'm just going to have to take your word for it. <laughs> another word for greedy. I was like, they're greedy, they're avaricious. <laughs> that's, uh, that's amazing. But no, but you said that you were alarmed that all of your information comes from the media. And what, a, what about- 100%. And now are you alarmed because you think the media is influencing your understanding or are you alarmed because you haven't taken the time yourself to do any research on your own? Well, I think part of that issue too is like the the sort of person that sits down to learn about you know stocks and investing has money to invest. Like you, you and I have lived very different lives. Like I said, uh, up until very recently, I was I was art dickhead. Like I, I literally gallivanted around the world writing little poems and stories. I was like, this will sustain me. And then I I don't know what happened at thirty. I was like, oh my god, I've made a huge mistake. And I moved back to America, and I was like, I'll get a company job and. And, uh, you know, I, I still don't have money to invest in the stock market. I, uh, I don't. And, um, <laughs> yeah, so it's like I, I've, there's been no practical reason for me to do it. And I guess in terms of my own politics and, and my own moral compass, it's been like, you know, oh, this is for, like, uh, there's a certain type of person that uh, participates in the stock market. It seems immoral to me. I consider myself a moral person. I, you know, therefore, I don't need to get involved. And, uh, and to, uh, now that I'm like finally looking into this, I'm like, oh, what a fucking incredibly naive approach to like a uh, 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 b- fucking money behemoth. Right. No, it's funny. Is I, w- I was thinking about this a little bit earlier today. I don't have kids. I don't know if I want them, but I, you know, all the time I think about what I would tell kids if I had them around me and I just had to impart life lessons and it's like, <laughs> young boy, come here. Let me tell you the stories about the Little world. boy. <laughs> Who talks to their own child like that? Little boy. It uh, doesn't have to be my own. It could be one on the road. That's what Michael Douglas does to Charlie Sheen in, in uh, Wall Street. He goes, good boy. Mm, you're really making me want to watch this movie. It's a great film. All right. Can't recommend it enough. Thanks, Oliver Stone. You know, and maybe this, maybe this has to say more about my bias or about what I would say to this kid. But I'm just thinking, like, I would say to this kid, especially about money, it's that money is power and that you, there's just nothing. You can, I, know that, I know that's trite, but I think it's so fucking true. And the more I get older, I'm just like, yeah, like anyone 
can lose all their fucking money and be worthless, but not anyone can make a ton of fucking money. And I don't mean that's because they're necessarily skilled. Like you have to be, I think for the most part, you have to be somewhat skilled at making money, but you have to be above all lucky as fuck. Like, to, you know, there's only so many spots for, you know, number one billionaire, and that's one spot. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, so far as we know, there hasn't been a tie yet. Could be. Yeah. And we can't you know, rule it out. You can't rule it out. I guess not. I guess uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are probably going to go after it for, uh, for a little while I like while the idea now. of them just going like running off hand in hand into the sunset or like literally taking a rocket into the sun together. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with the latter. Really, I am. It is weird that both of the top billionaires in the world both have space exploration businesses. Yeah, because that's so that's where weird. they're going to hide from the revolution. <laughs> oh, my God. I saw such a good meme, and it was this girl. Uh, I've seen this before. I'm pretty sure it's from... Um, one of, whatever those, that weird fucking puppet show from like the early 2000s that's like, anyway, this girl, like she must be like four years old, goes up to someone on Wall Street with a microphone and says, sir, when the revolution comes, where will you hide? <laughs> oh yeah, that's from, that's from Wonder Showsen. Wonder Showsen. That show is so fucking good. So fucking good. We should have it, that, that could be a whole other episode. But, but no, I mean, and to your point in terms of like imparting things onto your kids, um, I got to thinking about like the the full like the full extent that we're taught about the stock market in the American education system is literally the crash of uh, like the, the the crash of what when was it was it thirty two or twenty nine twenty nine God I I know a lot about history <laughs> about the numbers like I know the events but if you ask me the number where it never mind anyway moving on really like that's that's the extent of what we learn about uh, Wall Street and it's funny because there were so many crashes after that there was like Black Monday in, in 85 then there was the dot-com bubble then there was like the 2008 I mean granted we weren't in school at that point we graduated to be part of that history um, but it's interesting because there's like so the stock market affects so much of our lives and so much of the economy and it's like I mean, did, I didn't go over it at all in high school. Maybe that's because I was in remedial classes taught in trailers behind the school. But I mean, what about you? Did you go over this in any of your classes? No, I don't think anyone does. I think that's like one of the, I remember. Why? I don't know, because you know what it is? Because the wealthy benefit from the poor being uneducated about this. Is it, but okay, like I've, I've had this thought as well too. And I think, isn't that, oh God, isn't like an Orwellian thing? Like, isn't he always like, uh, like state education is the, uh, um, opiate of the masses or I'm, I'm paraphrasing the fuck out of that but he was like uh he had a big problem with state education but it's like but the elites don't have any like they're not the ones designing the curriculum the elites are designing the curriculum so i mean sometimes i think no i, I guess I I, I I yeah okay I, in terms of like our fucking what was i gonna say um our our plutocratic overlords yeah, yeah. but i guess I, I don't like i'm thinking billionaires specifically like i don't see them like yanking on their suspenders coming into a a, a pta conference and being like no oh, well, you know, learning about Wall Street in this here elementary school. Dude, isn't, wasn't Betsy DeVos literally a billionaire? And she was like the secretary she of was. education. She was. She absolutely was. You are correct. But I, I don't know if that's like her mindset. I also think that Betsy DeVos has fucking shit for brains. Like there's nothing going on in that person's skull. But like. Yeah. And uh, I think it was the wealthy elites who put her in place to. To impart her shit for brains onto everyone else. They're like, if everyone could be as dumb as this billionaire, then our money is safe. I could see her going into a school with just like a, a, an abacus and be like, look, kids, I brought your favorite. 
Okay, so I, I know I'm coming up a little hyperbolic here, but I do, and like th this is my, my second point here is that when unregulated, I think the trading on the stock market is a machine that makes the wealthy wealthier. And at, of course, at the expense of others. And I, and I have this argument a lot with my family. Um, I have, uh, my grandmother was a stockbroker. So we would always get into these um, arguments about, you know, uh, where wealth comes from. And she is convinced this like trickle down economic model is true, you know, and I, I just don't believe it really. Like, I think it's, you know, I, I, I think similar to you, I imagine, you know, we view capitalism as largely an extractive uh, institution that takes wealth off the, I mean, takes power basically off of the labor of the working class and extracts it up into a funnel, which is why we have multi, like hundred billionaires, like two of them now, um, yeah. you know, while more than two, isn't there more than two, maybe more than two. Yeah. And it, it but more than two in the, like the last five years, right. Or yeah. something like that. Like it, incredible explosions of wealth while the rest of us like are basically living the same lives or stagnating or stagflating and, and which is, you know, just a fun little, uh, uh, economics term that I'm probably misusing. No, I don't think you are. <laughs> oh, nailed it then. No, oh, right. you are actually. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, sorry. Double checked the books. Yeah, <laughs> big, uh, big foul there. Yeah, well, that's my second one. I, I, I know I'm coming in hot, and uh, I, I feel like even after astrology camp, I got to learn to like tone it back a little bit when I'm just like feeling, you know. So uh, my second one, my second one is basically like if if we're gonna be true to this. Um, if we're going to be true to this immersion and we're going to be true to, to learning about the stock market, are we going to, just like we did in, in, in demon summoning camp, just like we did in microdosing camp, are we going to need to get cocaine? I'm not lying. That was my number two. Is, are we going to get cocaine? Uh, we need, do we need cocaine to do this? Now, the question here is, do you really not know the answer to this? <laughs> is this a joke? Or <laughs> is that, is that, are you, is your non-answer being an answer? Like, is that like kind of a winking phrase? Like, do you really not know the answer to this question? Charlie Sheen. This not I'm, I'm the other Charlie, uh, Mc, Mc, Charlotte McDougal dog. That one, that we're, the famous Charlie <laughs> McDougal dog. Charlie McDougal dog. <laughs> And don't forget to buy the Charlie McDougaldar shirt exclusively <laughs> on campreeducation.com. Uh, no, Ian, I don't think we're going to need any cocaine, unfortunately. I know we're, I know we're both a little sad about that, but you know what, Ian, I'm not going to stop you though. If you want to, if you really want, if that's how you, how you want to go balls deep, balls to the wall, you can do as much cocaine as your little heart can handle. All right. So what, what about you? Do you have another one for us or? I do. I have my third and final and that's that. Um, so I took several classes. I obviously, so uh, I, I mentioned it a moment ago, but yeah, I got my uh, bachelor's in finance and then I uh, got my master's in international business. And like, I took like fancy business classes, like in my master's program, like um, what is it? Uh, open economy, macroeconomics, like international finance, like shit like that. You know, it's like, you know, we're, Courses that like impress your parents. What, what the fuck is international finance one chapter long? Is it just chapter one? Other countries have banks. And then that's it's an open book. It's an open book test. Uh, no, it was far more complex than <laughs> far more complicated. And uh, but that's that's my point to it, that it's wildly complicated. And I think a lot of that is by design. And I, and I think that it's it's complicated because the more complicated you can make it, the more little nooks and crannies you can find to exploit the system. Like this, and I think this is what we saw in the 2008 crisis where we made these crazy 
subprime mortgage loans. And then all of a sudden, people have no fucking idea what it is they're truly investing in. They don't see what the underlying value of the assets are because they're so complicated. And through that complication, it's almost like a veil that people can find little opportunities for arbitrage to make their profit. And I, and I think that this complication benefits those who are super educated and knowledgeable about the systems. And it's super, and this is what I was talking about, about it being like kind of exclusionary. It, if you don't know, you can't get in. Like it's a, a massive barrier to entry for lay people like you and me, you know? Mm. And so I, I think that this, I know there's a name for it, but like basically like this uh, commodifying like other types of financial products and like financial instruments, like making them so wildly complex I know that people will argue that there's benefits for it, but I, I don't know. I think it should be way more highly regulated. And I guess, so I guess all of my, all of my things kind of add up to this idea of I'm very, very skeptical of finance, having studied it, having like been in classes with all these like douchey, like finance bros and gals and just like fucking hated it. Like I really, um, I didn't like it. I didn't like any of the people I didn't like, like spending all my time thinking about making money. So hopefully I'll be able to go into this. And I guess my like my intention here is to try and again challenge this bias, like anti-Wall Street. And I know I'm ranting and raving right now, but I think another thing that's you kind of touched on is like I have money invested in in stocks, which is like I guess you have like, skin in this game. I you do have, have skin in this game. I don't. Yeah. I'm like a boneless chicken wing with <laughs> Also, uh, without any skin. <laughs> uh, boneless, skinless chicken wing. Uh, yeah, so, um, and I know we haven't yet decided exactly what it is that we're going to do for our immersion, but I know for a fact, Ian from the future and Shay from the future have this all figured out. So as soon as we're done with this section, they're going to tell God. us. <laughs> I love delegating all our work to them. Those guys, uh, they can handle it. Which I think is a good a place as any to maybe stop and, and give our future self some homework because we, we there's a lot to think about here. And, um, you know, I don't think I have enough time really to like learn about the stock market in a week. Um, I'll try. I'll certainly uh, give a good faith attempt, but I think what I'm really interested in too is like, I got stuck on this question of like how the stock market is taught, um, where this uh, cultural understanding of the stock market comes from. And like, I want to dive more into like this, this media depiction of the stock market and the, like this caricature version of it versus what's actually going on behind the scenes. Because my understanding of it is that it's a, it's an immoral institution. And I think that comes from what I've seen in like, uh, the, the big short, um, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, you know, um, Wall Street to the greedening, like all that shit. <laughs> so I, I want to try and suspend my disbelief and maybe approach this a, a, in a good faith attempt, especially as someone who's who's been kind of ethically revulsed by the stock market per everything I've seen in, in my short life, you know? So just just so I understand what your question is, is your your big smart boy question for this camp basically? That was a diatribe, but yeah, go ahead and do the thing where you turn it into a question for me, all right? And uh, make it make it quick. Well, <laughs> make it concise, Shay. Um, no, but is your question basically? And yeah, yeah, I guess just for me to understand it, I don't know. I was gonna say to Shay a fire. It's harder when I when I tell you what you're about to do. Yeah, and now it's just like I'm like describing how you walk, and now you're thinking about how you walk. You really are. All right. Is your question, is the, the media depiction of Wall Street fair? Is that your question? 
Fair and accurate. Let's Fair let's throw accurate. accurate in there. Maybe maybe uh, I, I'm assuming it's not like every time I see him. I was a teacher. Every time I see a movie about teaching, they're always like, "This is my passion," and it's just like, "You're a liar. You're a <laughs> fucking liar." Soul was a really accurate depiction of this because all he wants to do is stop being a teacher. That's the most <laughs> honest portrayal of teaching I've ever seen. <laughs> I'll pretend I've seen that movie. So, uh, <laughs> Ian, I'm going to give you... Now available on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> I'm Michael Douglas. <laughs> um, I want to give you some homework for your, your big smart boy question. And so that's, no, not your, that's my job to me. You're, well, you can't to, double... This, the, go this, ahead. All right, this you know week, what? it's I'll, my I'll job what for you, it? too. Um, okay, so your question, is the depiction fair and accurate? And I just want you to tell me, like, you know what? I was going to, what the what I was going to add to it, I'm sure you were going to do anyway. <laughs> it was just like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but no, tell me. Now I'm just curious. Uh, I'm embarrassed. What I was Because I think I had something before, but then you started distracting me with your Michael Douglas <laughs> jokes and shit. No, I'm not going to say it, Ian. It's far too embarrassing. Um, Everyone wants to know now. Well, everyone can just listen to my amazing big smart boy question instead, fr- uh, during which, through which I'll sound way more intelligent. Um, okay. <laughs> thank you for letting Ooh, that one me. go. I'm Shay. I majored in finance. I've got a master's degree. Uh, Ian. Ooh, I have a savings account and a 401k. <laughs> Ooh, look at me. Your jokes are funnier than mine are today. <laughs> these, are, these are just sad. I'm just masking the pain at this point. All right. So my question is, um, what role does the middle class actually play in our economy's like stock market, in their financial institutions that we, I guess, collectively describe as the stock market? Because I, I think a lot of people, when they talk about the middle class and its relation to the market... They, I think they, they say that it, the market is supposed to help build and develop and expand middle class, but I don't know if we really see that in practice. I think that the stock market is almost exploitative on the middle and lower class and doesn't, it's, it's not this rising tide that lifts all boats that we, we are promised. And so I want to like dig into it a little bit more. Obviously, like I have my bias with this, so it's going to be like super hard, but I want to try and with like clear eyes, hopefully try and see what the middle class, how the middle class really relates to the stock market. When you said clear eyes, I, I just thought of uh, the coach from Friday Night Lights who was like, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I I'm going to pretend I've seen that one too, Ian. Well, we're going to play that clip here for you in a little bit, and uh, it'll be edited in nice and neat. Here we go. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Can't lose! Mm-hmm. That was very nice. And so, I mean, you know what? No. I'm going to leave I'm gonna leave those questions to future Ian, because uh, he's going to have done a little research. Maybe he'll uh, put, a little, put a little pepper on those questions, all right? Maybe he'll uh, cut up a jalapeno. Hold your hold your wiener for you, YP. You'd be like, "Ooh, this hurts." They're like, "Yeah, yeah, I, I came prepared. Cut a, I cut a jalapeno. I didn't wash my hands after." What is happening? <laughs> Help you put some contacts in. You'd be like, "Ooh, these are hot." All right, I think got the, some hot eyes. Ian, I think this is all the audience can handle of, of these jokes. Um, <laughs> everyone, thank you so much for listening to these uh, these increasingly ignorant people in this increasingly ignorant bottle. Um, We're going to go and hand it off now to the hopefully more intelligent one week future Ian and future Shay. Take it away. This episode is brought to you by the SpaceX Bourgeoisie Mars Bunker. Are you worried about the coming proletariat revolution? 
fret no more, because you can hide in your own personal diamond bunker on Mars. Now, with enough space for your entire family, your secret Puerto Rican family, and yes, even your harem of organ clones. The SpaceX Bourgeoisie Mars Bunker. Like apartheid, but this time it's out of this world. Thank you, sponsor. Uh, truly, without you, I wouldn't be able to afford all of these blood diamonds. Um, Shay, it's going <laughs> to uh, hearten you to know that I have actually been working on my Gordon Gecko impression, and I've got oh. a bit. I've got a bit now where, like, I've got a Gordon Gecko bit where he's a uh, he's a corrupt children's dentist, and uh, <laughs> he keeps he keeps candy uh, in a bowl in his in his dentist's office, and like a mom is like, "Should you be keeping candy in here?" And Gordon Gecko, the dentist, is like. Gingivitis, for lack of a better word, is good. This is so bad. You cavities, more... <laughs> cavities, for lack of a better word, are good. And then, like all the other, uh, all the other dentists get up and clap. Mm, mm, yeah, because they're all in bed with the uh, the cavity with, filling, with big candy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> with big candy. Them uh, in the industry all right anyway uh, uh, that was don't give me that look okay we're, we're censoring you know, I that. love my QAnon jokes uh shane what have you been up to this past week get us out of here quickly <laughs> quickly now help me help me so ian uh yeah as we alluded to in our ignorance in the bottle uh we didn't quite know exactly what this immersion was going to look like for us and as we've done in, in some of our other ones we just we start doing all the research and then it's like you know i think it gets a little away from us but basically all i've been doing is trying to dust off some of the cobwebs that I learned in business school and like remind myself of like some of the bigger economic questions. And I know we talked about this a little bit before is we had this issue conflating Wall Street with the economy. And so I think we kind of went in, in a little bit of different directions. You went more the way that we were supposed to go when you talked a little bit about Wall Street. And I think I talked about bigger picture and the impact that Wall Street has had on us and the economy, because it's, it is one of the biggest movers of our economy now. And it has been for the last 20 years. And it, I think it's worth pointing out that it wasn't always like this. You know, we used to be a, an economy based on production, especially in the 50s and 60s. We used to make things and sell things. Now we sell the idea of things um, and then package those <laughs> ideas into new ideas and then sell those ideas to people or it's, it's just money circulation like the money it doesn't matter what the money's doing so long as it's moving and that that gives the the illusion of of industry and it's not it's 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 literally just fucking it, it, we're, we're kicking money back and forth like it's a fucking you know fifth grade soccer pitch like there, there's no real fucking direction all the kids are moving in a herd it, it's just it's it's madness <laughs> it's chaos yeah. So, and I guess you were trying to learn a little bit more of the actual nuts and bolts of how people get involved at all with with stock trading in general. Is that right? More or less. Yeah. I mean, my whole thing was essentially, all right, um, I, I don't have any money invested in the stock market. I've never thought of investing in the stock market. I've always thought of the stock market as like, you know, pun not intended, morally bankrupt. So it's like, you know, where does one even begin with regards to becoming financially literate? Like this was b basically my journey to becoming financially literate so that I could essentially be more, I don't know, in the driver's seat with my money. But um, don't take my word for it. Let's queue up the captain's log so we can take my word for it. All right, so I'm going to fumble through some basic 101 shit and I'm going to uh, unpack it with you when we're done. But I, I think what I've gathered from this week is that 
if you don't have money, the stock market's not for you, especially if it's money that you can't afford to part with, because based on what I've learned, as soon as you put money in, you're at a loss because you've got to pay a broker. So uh, let's say I've got a broker with a 10% fee and I put in 100 bucks, I'm actually already down to 90. And then if a stock starts to perform badly and I want to take it out, I've got to pay the broker to take it out. So it's like I started a loss, then I lose, and then I got to pay to remove. So I essentially, there's the potential to take three separate fucking losses. Um, and if you, if that's the way that you're you're playing with your money and you can't afford to lose it, at that point it doesn't feel that much different from gambling. Um, and it's interesting because like I, I wanted to kind of reach out to some brokers and talk to them on the record about this, but like all of them said they couldn't. And it leads me to believe that they're not allowed to be seen as having uh, opinions about investing that are too radically divergent from the companies that they work for, who essentially like uh, give these brokers directives and. I, I don't know. I'm, I, my mind immediately went to like when Goldman Sachs was selling toxic CDOs. And then while it was actively fucking betting against them, it was telling customers that they were high quality investments. And it made me wonder if the brokers were, you know, part of this fucking system. And, and like the company was providing the directive to sell these CDOs. And the brokers, when customers would come in and say, well, where should I put my money? Would say, oh, put them here. These are high quality investments. And it just reminds me of like this practice and this industry that has been historically corrupt. And we can talk about that a, a, a little bit. And it made me even more not want to participate in it or be uh, associated with it like in any fucking way, shape or form. So you do touch on quite a few different things there. Uh, and I think we're going to touch on the the later half of what you're talking about about the corruption and the morality in a in an upcoming um, in an upcoming captain's log. So I'll I'll leave those there for now. But I do want to touch on what you said in the beginning of the captain's log, and uh, that is that I guess fundamentally it's not for the poor. I think when you say that, I think you're you're right. Of course it's not. If you don't have money, you can't do shit with your nothing money. But the the thing you said immediately after that uh, is not true, and, and it's that you have to pay a broker. Because most platforms now offer free trading. And so, um, and I think what you're confusing here is the differences between active and passive investment. So an active investment is when you pay someone, a broker, to go and pick stocks for you. But you don't have to do that. You, I mean, um, that's, that's a little bit different than what I'm talking about with active and passive uh, investing. But you can actively invest yourself even by just going to one of these platforms. And there, there are tons of these now that do not have trading fees like that. My, my broker or my platform now, I use Fidelity. You don't have to pay. You can just pick a stock and um, start uh, investing in it directly. And you're basically buying it directly from another seller who has the stock. But I mean, OK, and this is like good to know. And uh, I mean, it's. I, I, I think this is like an important thing that we we point out on the show is that like you have to be okay being wrong and, and talking to people about this. And I think fear of being seen as fucking, you know, dumb or stupid or, you know, inept, I think scares a lot of people from reaching out and asking for help. And, um, right. you know, I, I have no shame, so this doesn't bother me. But I mean, like, <laughs> I, I, at the same time, it's like that's part of the whole experiment, right? Like I had no idea where to start. And, you know, I took to the fucking Internet. Like where else do you turn? And that was right. one of the things that, that I came across is like, oh yeah, like you need to pay a broker. And I was like, I don't want to fucking pay someone to put money in some, something that I don't have any fucking faith in to begin with. 
Right, absolutely. And picking a fucking stock is hard. Like, and if you, and so this is something I did look into like at the beginning of the week. And, uh, I, you know, there's a lot of different things you're supposed to look into. And if, and if you look into the actual financials of a company, you can base your their value, their current value based on the projection of future earnings. And that's how you're supposed to be choosing stocks. Those are like the fundamentals of finance that theoretically everyone in the industry is doing to, to appropriately evaluate a company's value. But... I don't know if a lot of people are doing that, especially I think like day, like average home day traders aren't really doing that. I think they're just like, I like Apple. I'm going to buy Apple. You know, Apple is a good company, which is not terrible. I mean, that's basically what Warren Buffett says. He's like a value investor. Like he's like, if you believe in a company and you think they're doing good, like just invest in them. Like you don't need to know necessarily a ton about their. I mean, you should whenever possible know as much as you can about the underlying business operations that support their money making endeavors. But it's not necessary. It's not necessary if you if you know that they're a good company. And so there's another. Just back to briefly when I was talking about active and passive investment. Warren Buffett had a famous bet against a hedge fund. And so what hedge funds are, are they're basically people who think that they know they can pick stocks better than anyone else, or pick not necessarily stocks, but they can find a good investment above anyone else. And they and they often leverage themselves massively to exploit whatever market deviation they find to make a ton of fucking money. And just to quickly explain leverage, leverage is just borrowing money to make an investment. Warren Buffett famously bet a hedge fund manager that the 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 economy overall, the S and P five hundred, would beat. Any, uh, his hedge fund over a 10-year basis. And Warren Buffett was right. The, 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 the economy beat this hedge fund manager generally. And that's and the economy, you can, you can invest in the economy simply by buying an index fund, which there's no fee for. That's what most of my money is invested in different funds. And you can just put money in and let the okay, wait, economy handle say, it. You, uh, the index fund is investing in the economy and you have different index funds. Are you invested in different economies? So it's just different slices of the economy. I mean, what every mean, what does that even mean? Different slices of the economy, <laughs> like like agriculture <laughs> and industry yeah. and boats. Yeah, actually. Um, yeah. So the S&P 500 is the largest 500 companies, according to the S&P, what the, the 500 companies, they're just like, I think these are the 500 most important companies. And you can be like, OK, well, I will buy in a fund. And this it's just so, like some third party is like, all right, we will buy stocks in accordance to what S&P has decided is the 500 best companies. And then you buy a slice of that fund. And that's what a, that's what an index fund is. So I'm buying a slice of the S&P 500. And as the S&P 500 goes up and down, my portion of it goes up and down as well. So who gets the money that you invest into the S&P 500? Like one company, all the companies, if you invest, if you invest $500, every company gets $1? Not, it's not proportional like that, but yes, every company will get a proportional amount. Some uh, in the S and P 500, uh, some companies are weighted much higher. So the bigger companies are weighted much larger. So yeah, if you invest in the S and P 500, you are de facto buying Amazon stock. You're buying Walmart stock. You're buying Apple stock. You're buying the biggest names. You're buying their stocks. Okay, so during my first week into this, this is the thing that made the most sense to me, like investing in companies. And then I learned about the other shit and the other shit is what i hate it i hate the other shit a lot um derivatives derivatives securitization fucking uh you know mortgage-backed securities uh debt trading fucking you know cdos the alpha the word the alphabet soup like the you know here's a company throw some money into it the stock could go up you could get some of that like i'm like okay that scans 
like I said, and then I dove into the other stuff, like the fucking seedy underworld. It's like that episode of SpongeBob where he goes into the fucking the deep ocean and, and people talk by blowing raspberries. Um, let's play this clip and we can uh, further compound mine and the listeners confusion uh, right now. Well, before I let you do that, Ian, you don't no! get to just no, yeah, yeah. You, I think it's just worth clearing up that a derivative is just a financial security whose value is derived from another security. You do so realize every, you do realize nothing what you said makes sense, right? Like, no, I don't. That's that's actually absurd to me. All right, so uh, yeah, what, okay, what the a security? Uh, okay, I'll tell you what security. is. Security is a thing like I I press a fucking code on a on a wall, and then when someone opens my door, the the alarm goes off. That's oh, security. That's okay. okay. Security is Paul Blart Mall Cop, okay? <laughs> what do you mean when you say a security bundled by another security? Like, break that fucking, break it down. Okay, yeah, yeah that's Mr. a great- Mr. Master's degree. <laughs> that's a great point. Um, so, yeah, so security is, uh, it's basically any kind of an asset, and I'm hoping that's, that's, that works for you as well. Like so it's, an asset is anything that can make money. Um, an asset is something, it's like, you know, it's funny, I just wanted to use another word. It's a financial instrument that holds some kind of financial value or monetary value. Okay, again, we're back to the alphabet soup. So okay. it's an asset. What's an asset? Oh, it's a financial instrument. What the fuck? Well, what, is it a old... trombone? Is it a gold-plated trombone? So it's basically, it's a stock. It's a bond. It could be like the, the deed to some real estate. It's something, it's like, a, it's like a thing that in itself has value. So stocks, just think of, I mean, for simplification's sake, just think of stocks and bonds. Um, and basically, uh, which you can even think of as like, ownership in a company or uh, an IOU from someone. You know, they, they both have value for different reasons. So I can have an IOU from you and then uh -huh. I can sell the IOU to someone else. And that's the example. And that's an example of a security. Yeah, the, the, the IOU itself is a security. A stock itself is a security. Does that make sense? Totally. So basically a security is a blanket term for anything that can be bought or sold in a market or on an exchange. So it's it's like you can just say like these are different types of securities. Stocks and bonds are two of the most popular types of securities. Does that help? Yeah, totally. Okay, perfect. And then so a derivative is just an investment that's value is based off of an underlying security, but it doesn't have value itself. So so basically, this is like when it gets a little complicated where you can say like, oh, a little complicated, <laughs> huh? So this is where you can just say like, all right, uh, I'm going to bet that this stock is going to go, let's say the stock of Amazon is gonna go up. I'm not holding that stock necessarily. I'm now I'm holding another security that is uh, based on uh, that security, but it itself has no inherent value. It's just, it's like, it's a contract. It's the idea of, it's me saying, Ian, I think Amazon is gonna go up. Do you wanna bet? And you can say yes or no. And then uh, when, it, when it happens or doesn't happen, we exchange money accordingly. So there's no money put down initially, and there then whoever be. loses the bet, whoever loses the bet has to pay up the money. There is an infinite amount of ways that you can do a derivative. Literally, you can. It's just however creative you want to be. Uh, and this is and this is what's propping up our economy. Uh, yeah, I mean, this a is a bunch of guys sitting around with their dicks out, going, "Want to bet?" Uh, yeah, and women, Ian, <laughs> but mostly guys. Yeah, but, no, but I think you're right. I mean, the stereotype still holds. Um, but no, I think that that's basically what it is. But I do want to get to the captain's log you were saying. So let's go ahead and play that one. It's that time again, baby. It's time for me to officially hate what we're doing. 
And that's because I just learned about securitization, which was uh, like the conversion of a loan into a marketable security for the purpose of raising cash by selling them to investors. And it's just, I can't fucking believe that you, that you can just literally buy and sell debt. That seems fucking stupid. That seems fucking insane to me. Like, I, and I also just learned that uh, apparently after like the 08 crash, like after Avatar 3D came out, they started bundling, like you could bet on movies futures or some shit like or, uh, box office futures, which would explain why uh, all of our fucking movies today are essentially dog shit and, and marketed uh, almost like explicitly to Chinese audiences and thus subject to Chinese censors and, and not good now. And like, fuck man, I hate this shit. So, how are you feeling about the idea of selling debt? Does that idea still feel really weird to you? So, let, let me talk a little bit about like why I hate this idea. Um, I, I, one of the uh, things that I read in research this week was this idea of like innovation, and, and like that's the driving force of financialization. Is the idea that like the and you had mentioned this just a few moments ago, the idea that like there is always uh, a million ways to like bet or create a security about like okay, like I think this might happen, I think that might happen. Um, let's let's bet on it, like you just said, correct? Yes. Okay. So <laughs> the problem is this uh, like notion of incentivization, which I think is uh, detrimental to society as a whole, where now you have people who are like hoping for failure. Like they are banking on things to not succeed. They are banking on things to go poorly. And this is the plot of the movie, The Big Short, right? You have a, a group of people who are betting on the housing economy to fail. So now it's in their best financial interests for things to go badly for something else. And I, I think this is fundamentally at odds with the goal of a healthy functioning society. So like, it makes me a little sick. I'll be completely honest with you. Well, okay. So the reason, especially in The Big Short, a reason the main reason that they were betting against the housing crisis is because that was a bubble and they could see that the, the prices that we were seeing didn't match the underlying value of what they were actually reflecting. So you would say like, and I know that's, that's, that's well, I mean, super I, convoluted. I understand it, but it's still so, gross. Yeah. Is it though? I mean, like, honestly, yes. at a certain point, no, I, the people in the big short who are betting against the housing crisis, like that. I feel like in a lot of ways that makes sense. Like we don't want to continue propping up a bubble that is like un that is I don't I don't know. Do you want to make bubbles? Well, like, I mean, no, did, did, it, did it like fix housing prices? Like our house is more affordable now. Well, they certainly were after the bubble collapse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for for people who had uh, you know enough money to be able to buy that up for like for for other people like there were there were mass evictions. There was an uptick in homelessness. Like, okay, well, well, let me tell you this idea. So if they had if they were powerful enough, if the people betting against the bubble had started sooner, were able to see it and were able to fight against the bubble, that's how the market is supposed to work. It's supposed before you get a bubble, you're supposed to be like, okay, these prices are a little inflated. They should go down. Let me bet against it and that will bring the price down. That's how it's supposed to work in theory. So betting against the economy or betting against an asset, a stock, a bond, whatever, that's how it's actually supposed to keep um, prices fair. And in theory, that does work. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I, I, I think the issue is more when we 
have a deregulated economy where we can we can create these bubbles almost intentionally and then profit off of both the rise of it, like like how you mentioned Goldman Sachs did, yeah. but then also profit on the downside. Like, the, like a third party betting on the housing crisis, like that, I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with Goldman Sachs when they... When create, they were doing that, when they were, yeah, yeah. When they're literally building the market, like they're big enough to, to move the market, to, to create this huge fucking bubble. And then literally as they see the bubbles about to pop, start betting against the bubble they created. Now that's absolutely morally bankrupt and fucked up. But just betting against an inflated asset is how we have efficient financial markets. So, and it also sounds like what you're describing is something that like works in theory. It works. I think it works most of the time as long as we have regulation on our markets. I think the issue is as soon as you start saying, you know what, just do whatever the fuck you want. Like borrow, take people's savings accounts, literal people's savings accounts, your money, my money, and just start go throwing it into the stock market wherever the fuck you want, regardless of how much how secure the loan is, how uh, much money you have to back it up in case it goes wrong. Like that's when it becomes uh, super dangerous, super seedy. And that's what, I mean, that's what we saw. That's why we had to bail out the banks because all of these banks that had our fucking money started going bankrupt because they were making stupid fucking loans and stupid fucking bets. And then our money was on the fucking line. So the government had to bail out the goddamn banks, you know? And then, so the banks are saved and you know, those CEOs get fucking huge bonuses even while their companies were going bankrupt. Like, fuck that shit. Like, that's the shit that pisses me off. Okay, well then, okay, well, here's my other question then. So if it's supposed to balance it out and prevent it, like if betting against something is supposed to help people realize, oh, this is a bubble, we need to correct this. Mm-hmm. Then how would the people betting against it make any money if it doesn't burst, if it's if it's corrected. I'm sorry. How would the, the people betting against it make money if it say it again? If it doesn't burst. So if like you're you're betting on something to to bust, right? Uh-huh. Um, and like you said, the number of people who are now betting for it to crash, uh, if this sets a correction and then the thing in question does not crash, like mm-hmm. let's say uh, you know, in, in this utopian world where uh, you know, the housing prices start to rise too much, people bet against the bubble, the number of people betting against the bubble goes up, so the people go, oh, these are overpriced and the market corrects. What happens to the people who have betted against it? Do they, they, they just lose money? The people who bet against it make money when there's a correction. So if when you bet against it, you make money when the market goes down. If you're betting against the market, then you'll make money as the market goes down. So okay, and that that's, makes sense. Yeah, and that's good. And that I mean that's that's a that's an appropriate use of incentivization. You're like, okay, you will be you're incentivized to find areas where there is and this is like this is like one of the fundamental philosophies of finance. Like, and I know this is probably super fucking boring for, for everyone, but like, this is the idea of market efficiency. Like, the the idea of the market is like people th- through selfish greed, greed, greedful, greedy <laughs> incentives, they'll try and find little spots where valuation doesn't match the current price, and that can be that it's too low. And they're saying, actually, this company or whatever is is not being valued what it should be. This this company is actually more value than the price reflects. And then you will buy that because you expect the value to go up. And then you have the opposite. We're like, this is super inflated. There's no way that you sh- we should be paying this much for Walmart stock, let's say, for example. So then you'll bet against Walmart stock because you're like, actually, that is overpriced. And then if it when once it corrects, 
then you make money that way. And actually, even just betting against it puts pressure on the price to correct, especially if it's a big market mover who's doing it. Like, let's say Bank of America is betting against Walmart for some reason. So then basically what I'm hearing is that like in, you know, in theory, this this works great and this is very nice. But I guess what happens is when you have institutions that are too big, they can then uh, influence things to go the way they want to so that they can make the most amount of money, uh, regardless of how many people suffer as a result. Yeah, and we were actually, I think we were seeing this with this recent GameStop phenomenon where everyone thinks that it was just a group of Redditors with their like $20,000 life savings making these huge market-making movements. Market-making movements. But but, uh, I read an article recently that was showing that um, if you look at the data, it actually looks like a lot of hedge funds hopped on the bandwagon and they're like, shit, this looks like it's going to explode. And it's like the game theory thing you're mentioning. They're like, this is going up. Why the fuck wouldn't I do this if everyone's super... Yeah, why am I waiting for these fucking suckers? I can cash out now and make a killing. Yeah, and not only that, they can help put... They can pump and dump it. They're like, oh, this is starting to pump and dump. Well, let me help. And then, they, <laughs> and then they can like throw their billions of dollars at it and then see the stock price like triple, quadruple, you know, go 10 times its original price and then cash out whenever the fuck they want, leaving the fucking Reddit community on the hook. You know, unless yeah. they unless they got out when they when they should, then all of a sudden they're they're stuck holding the bag. Yeah, and like I actually had a conversation about this with a friend who was like super excited to see this happen. And he was like, Yeah, they're gonna wait until it gets to like, I don't know, a thousand dollars a share or something like that, and then they're gonna dump it. I'm like, I don't see that happening. Right. Like I really don't see it. like like it, it you have a decentralized platform where where like, you know, or a, a bunch of decentralized buyers, and it's just like, you know, through fucking not even like a handshake agreement, like literally a subreddit metal awarding system of friendship that like, come on, boys, we're all in this together. And all it takes is the first couple of people to fucking pull out the Jenga blocks for the tower to fall. Um, right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, it, I, I don't know. It's, uh, these are, it's hard for me to, I get it in theory. Like when you explain it to me, I go, okay, this makes sense. But what we see, like the, the theory versus the reality, like the fucking theory versus the praxis, we don't see that. Like we don't see these good things happening. Like, uh, when COVID hit and the fucking, the economy took a tumble, like we again had to fucking bail out all these fucking industries because we found out they didn't have any fucking savings. They were just, uh, taking all of their profits and doing stock buybacks to make their fucking, uh, stocks, you know, go up. So it's just like, it, it, it just seems to me to be a lot of fucking um, doublespeak or, or, or like a, a lot of fucking silver tongue investors and fucking lobbyists saying this. These are all the mechanisms put in place to make the stock market work and work and to make the economy good. And then we see time and time again that we just keep repeatedly being fucked dry. Oh, that is very graphic. Yeah, that's how I feel. OK, <laughs> from experience, that's how you feel. But <laughs> Well, I think that disturbing comment is a great uh, time to dive into our next segment, the morality of what the fuck is going on. It's not our next segment. It's our next log. Idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Play the goddamn clip. But so I think this next captain's log is kind of like a, a natural next step in, in terms of uh, what I've been thinking about. And it's just like, you know, you and I had this conversation a little bit, but it, I don't know if actions and money are speech like and this is what investing is because, you know, actions are speech because that's ultimately where we derive character and like 
you know, money is speech because lobbyists have essentially written that into law, then like investing in these companies, as, as I kind of seem to understand it, is an endorsement of the way that they do business. And it's an action that says, I approve of what you're doing and creating. I approve of the way you treat your workers. And I fucking love the way that you, you know, dodge taxes, baby. Um, so it, it's like, I, I don't know. Um, my question, I think, is like, how do you have a mature conversation about the necessity of saving and investing and also the morality of the system you're putting the money into. And um, I, I, I don't know, I just feel like financial capital has made taking a moral stance seem immature, naive, and, 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 and foolish. And, and I don't know, can we afford to be moral when the said ethical stance leaves us perched on like economic precarity as in my case and i think i don't know like as a counterpoint to that like when can we afford to be immoral like when only when it benefits us personally and i think there's this brings up some question about like game theory specifically what we just saw with like the gamestop failure to create a kind of populist pump and dump what it says about the idea of honest work like what the fuck is honest work is honest work even possible in the current economy and um there's a question in there about trust but i don't necessarily know that i've i've formulated it yet but um maybe we'll, we'll have a chance to do that as soon as the song finishes and we come out of this little doodiddle On, on my catchphrases like uh, if after this podcast episode i invest in anything it's going to be uh, a new approach to language i don't know i kind of liked the little dude diddle you did there at the end. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what point i became the fucking dr seuss host of the podcast i think more of like a, a ned flanders vibe as well <laughs> if ned flanders and dr <laughs> seuss had an illegitimate love child and they raised it in, I don't know, some Canadian province. Yeah, that's you. That's you 100%. Um, so you brought up some interesting points in there. And uh, I, I really agree with the, one of the first things you said, which was um, uh, effectively that investing is basically voting for a company. That you, by, by giving them your money, you're, it's, it's, you're saying, yes, thank you, more please. And I think you're right. Fundamentally, that's what that is. I mean, anytime you buy a product from a company, whatever it is, like if it's if the product is ownership in that very company, you know, through a stock or if it's the, the actual physical products or goods that they sell or services, then then you're voting for that company. And I think of that every time I fucking buy something off of Amazon. It's like it hurts a little bit. And so, like, I, I know you had a, a, a visceral reaction to when I told you that I had four hundred dollars invested in, in Amazon directly. Yeah, I was because, you know, you uh, it's no secret to the podcast that you're always like, Jeff Bezos. Uh, yeah. And then I found out you were investing in the company. And it's almost like they're in, uh, I think, the War of 1812. Uh, the United States uh, pretty much relied at that point in its history, relied heavily on foreign investments to fund like all of its uh, development. And in the War of 1812, uh, like the Bank of England basically liquidated all of its assets uh, so they got money from the American banking system to go to war against it. And it's just like, that's kind of how it feels. It's like, I'd like to go to war with you. Okay, here's $800. I'd like to buy that gun. Here you go, sir. Bang. Oh, I can't believe you shot me. <laughs> that's so good. I actually didn't know that. That's really interesting. Yeah. But 
I mean, yeah, you're right. Like, and you know, you having that reaction to it, like kind of forced some perspective on me. I was like, you know, you're right. Like fundamentally and philosophically, I don't think that I believe in this, but especially when COVID hit and, uh, you know, uh, when COVID hit, I was like pretty broke. And then I think like the pandemic, like forced me to stay inside and start saving all of the money I was making. And like it, and then that with like the fucking stimulus checks and stuff, like I actually had like more money to invest and like just for the listeners at home I'm not like rolling in investment money now I'm like very much don't listen to him he's lying to you uh, right now I'm very much <laughs> he's still... seated on a gold throne <laughs> he's wearing a, a, a jewel encrusted crown okay the only gold throne I have is my toilet seat and you know <laughs> that Ian uh, and that's just what I like to call it in the comfort of my own home and it's just gold plated okay only 14 <laughs> carat <laughs> whatever um, plumber Gordon Gecko actually Pooping is good. <laughs> pooping is good. <laughs> pooping, okay, I'm sorry. Everyone should be pooping. <laughs> um, but I think you're right, though. And I don't know if you mentioned it in another Captain's Log that we didn't play, but you it, you did talk about this curiosity of, of whether or not there was any good company that you could invest in. And I think you said you came to the conclusion that there there wasn't. And I, I kind of want to ask you about that. Like, what do you do you really not imagine there's a single company that you think is morally uh, I don't know, intact? Well, I guess here's what I kind of was thinking about that. And um, it's it's still a nation idea. I'm probably going to fuck it up. But um, it, it's like if we're investing in a company, what that tells me is that money is going into a company twice. Uh, the first through profits and then again through investment through the stock market. And, and then I'm just like wondering, well, like why the fuck are we seeing wages go up? If, if this much money is being pumped into companies, like why isn't that uh, coming back to the workers um, who, are, who are doing all of the work? And I guess like, that's what I meant by like, there's, there's no good companies, which is again, like a huge oversimplification. But a lot of that I will admit came from the fact that I could only, learn about the stock market in one week. Like, are there good companies out there? I'm, I'm sure there are. But like, if I think about things like clean energy, if I think about things like, that's it. Clean energy is the only really thing I, I, I give a fuck about. Um, like, I, I think that that's something that should be taken up by like the mantle of like, that, that should that's something that should be nationalized. Like that needs huge amounts of capital to, to make it a reality uh, in, in terms of like w how important it is for the fucking future of life on earth. Um, I don't think that should rely on my fucking pennies on the dollar, especially as we're seeing, you know, like the, the common man and woman, um, see less and less in terms of their economic output. So it's like, I, I, I don't know. It, it's just an idea. I'm sure you've got a lot of thoughts about that. Like lay them on me. Well, I think you're absolutely right that money should be going back to the workers because we are the workers. All of us, most of us are the workers. And we've seen, I mean, I, I, again, like you said in the beginning, like a lot of this information isn't new to anyone, but we've seen wages stagnate for the last 50 years. They haven't changed yeah. in terms of uh, real purchasing power adjusted for inflation. Meanwhile, we're seeing the wealthy get even wealthier. We're seeing, and, and I know we're going to talk about this in a, in, a, in a little bit, but like we, we've seen an incredible growth in the inequality of both income and wealth. And of course, that that's that's fucked up. And I mean, that's like ruining our economy. We've seen our growth stagnate uh, as as a nation. Like we've seen our GDP go down in the last several years as our um, yeah. as, as a percent. Like the growth of our GDP has gone down 
as our markets have become increasingly deregulated. And I think that's the issue. We're seeing deregulation as we're also seeing unions being broken up. We're seeing all of the the power that the people have, any kind of political power is being stripped away from them. And so then it is scary. Like, where do I put my fucking money? Because if you don't invest it somewhere, you lose money to rising inflation. If you just put your, whatever, your entire savings under your mattress, every year you lose a percent of that money in, in purchasing power, which is terrifying. So you have to put it somewhere. And then where do you put it? And I think that's the reason I invested in Amazon is because like, you know what? I guarantee you Jeff Bezos is going to do everything he can to not lose his money. So if I put my money in line with where Jeff Bezos puts his, I will be okay. And I mean, that's, that's, that's where my head's at right now. Like, how do I not get, get swept further underneath the rug? It feels like economic Stockholm syndrome. Like we're literally, we're being held hostage by these companies. And like, I don't, I don't know, frankly, like at this point, it's more of like a more honor and death thing, right? Like I, I don't, I don't know because again, it does, it does feel like you want to take a moral stance, but then at the same time, you also have like, I have a, I have a wife. I have a responsibility to my partner to be able to like take care of her and, and our life. Right. Um, but I also don't want to endorse or approve of the way Amazon like uh, has become a fucking monopoly. Um, it's slowly like taking over all these other industries is consolidating power is influencing politics is fucking, uh, like, uh, avoiding paying fucking taxes like, and is just like the list goes on. Like I could, I could go on and on and on and on and on. And like, on the one hand, you're absolutely right. But like, on the other hand, it's almost like, I, you know, I still have, it's fucking God damn it. We're talking about free will again. Like I still like that is my limited uh, option of choice, but it feels like an immature one. It feels almost childish to cross my arms against my chest and go, no, Jeff Bezos, fuck you. Eat my shit and die. I, I refuse. I'd rather die penniless than, than do anything to, to help you. Yeah. You know, and what's super interesting is, so I just, as you know, I just moved into a new apartment and I'm trying to yeah. buy things for it. And I'm like, okay, well, it's a pandemic. Where do I go to buy like some of the furniture I need and stuff? And so I've been stuck with this idea. It's like, okay, well, do I just buy from Amazon? And it's been really, it's been a really tough philosophical question for me. But what I've been doing now and I've never felt this way more in my life, but I would, I would look at Amazon, find the, whatever I want and then try and see if I can find it anywhere else online and like use, <laughs> use Amazon's ratings, whatever to like be like, okay, can I buy this anywhere else? And I finally found for the same price like this, I'm buying a chair and I found the same chair, uh, <laughs> On, at Walmart's website. And I was like, fuck, like 2004 me would hate me right now thinking like, okay, are you really going to buy from Walmart? But actually <laughs> like, what kind of fucking awful world do we live in? Where Walmart is the more ethical choice. Exactly. I hate this planet. Yes, exactly. So it's like the lesser of two evils. And oh, I actually, the, there was like a feedback thing. They're like, oh, anything else you want to tell us about this purchase? And I was like, yeah, you have become the lesser of two evil. Congrats. <laughs> Congratulations. You won by default. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, in some ways it's like, that's our political options often as well. But, but no, you're right. It's like, where do I fucking put my money as a consumer? Where do I put my money as an investor? And increasingly, as we see this incredible growth of inequality, the options become less and less moral. And I do have a captain's log about this. So I think I'll just go ahead and play that for you now. Hey, Ian Shea here. Uh, I am just smack dab in the middle of our Wall Street camp just thinking about 
wealth inequality. And I just, I can't shake it for some reason. It's all I'm thinking about and uh, how, it, how it's gotten this bad. How it, and I've just, I've been looking at like some graphs and some statistics and it seems like since basically the 1950s, our inequality has only increased, which seems so bizarre, um, especially considering the story that we tell ourselves of who we are as Americans. And uh, I'm really struggling to, to fully internalize the fact that we've become increasingly unequal, we've become increasingly corrupt, we've increasingly deregulated our financial institutions and financial markets, and all of this seems to be so strongly correlated with political polarization, which then seems to explain perfectly why we have Trump now, or Trumpism, in, uh, in the the environment of all of these other economic reasonings. And it's devastating when I, when I really see the culmination of all of these different economic and political policies basically going off the deep end. And it makes me wonder, what happened to Occupy Wall Street? What, what happened to the, this movement that was so popular 10 years ago where everyone was on board about handling the underlying issues of inequality? What happened to that? If anything, it's only gotten infinitely worse since that time, and we've done absolutely nothing about it. And it terrifies me a little bit, and I, I wish that in the same way we had this incredible call to action for Black Lives Matter in the pandemic, that we could have something similar, a, a resurgence of Occupy Wall Street, but maybe this time with, some, with it actually doing something, with holding someone accountable. But I just don't see that happening. And I don't know, man, do you have any any ideas of how we can like make any change of this? You know, it's, it's funny because um, people still stand, uh, you know, o Obama and, and everything that he did, but um, he essentially reemployed a lot of the same players that fucking, you know, crashed the economy the first time. And I, th I think his logic was like, well, they broke it. They'll know how to fix it. And it was just like, I, I don't really think they fixed anything. I think they just like, you know, reinsured that they'll continue to keep their stranglehold on on power. So it's like, you know, what happened to Occupy Wall Street? The legislation was put in place to ensure that something like that doesn't happen again. Not for the banks, but for the people. It's honestly, it's so disheartening when I when I see all of the deregulation that the financial industry and the financial markets have at the expense of the American people and the expense of the economy and at the expense of democracy. When we start, when you realize, when you fully understand that there's a correlation between political polarization and inequality, there's no surprise now that we're more divided than ever. And it does seem like we we have a short timeline of that we can fix this if we want to continue being a democratic nation where we don't have fascism uh, knocking at our door all the time. And it, and it is crazy when you see how many of our politicians are in bed with these financial institutions because they are they're all the one fucking percent like obama's the one fucking percent like i you know what i don't know why but i still obama is rich as fuck now he is dude i i you know what's crazy it's like i still like obama i don't know why but like i, <laughs> I like him and you know it's it's hard because i realize like yeah you actually like sowed a lot of the seeds or like at least watered the goddamn plant to like let it grow into whatever it is now like i mean he could have done so his, his, much his, reluctance to address inequality is is arguably what led to Trump. And it's funny because we both love Piketty and a lot of his ideas. And I mean, Piketty kind of draws the, the connection that like 
the the thing that led to fascist Germany, you know, I, I think the the mythology, the fiction that we love to tell ourselves is like Hitler was just a, a charismatic bad person, and that's the curse of uh, hyper individualism that we see uh, specific mm. to the United States of America. And I mean, what really happened was like insane sanctions were imposed on the country. It was essentially working for uh, Europe and the United States, and the extreme inequality imposed by these alleged like democratic freedom loving countries sowed the fucking seeds to create the 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 sort of fucking fascism on crack that we saw implemented by the Nazi party and Adolf Hitler's in the Adolf Hitler in the fucking 30s so it's like we're we're seeing the same trends and, and like you know it, it's funny cuz uh I accidentally you know misattributed that opiate of the masses quote to um Orwell but it was it was Marx and um you know he uh, another misattributed quote that uh, is often um applied is the idea of like you know history repeats itself but the the second part of that the lesser known part is history repeats itself the first time is tragedy and the second time is farce and i think that we're uh, you know as americans if we continue to just fucking ignore financial inequality and wealth inequality and you know the, the essentially the the mechanisms put in place by wall street that allow inequality to fucking soar at the levels that it is going to like we are steadily marching towards not just comedy but in, in the event of just how fucking buffoonish the trump presidency was a tragic comedy you know where we're gonna we're gonna laugh on the way down going fuck i can't believe we could have prevented this and we didn't yeah, I think that's it's called a dramedy, but yeah, totally. <laughs> but uh, nice. No, but uh, you know, you know, it's funny. I do that just to pull the hot air out of out of what you said because <laughs> because I, truly deep down I was actually really moved by it, and then uh, I just felt like uh, fuck you, Ian. You can't be better at this than me. <laughs> <laughs> you had this whole episode to sound smart. Give me two minutes. No, Ian, I want it all. <laughs> So, uh, but no, I, I actually, you know, I think the points you just brought up were, were actually super fucking fantastic. Um, and I don't think that there's much more I can add to that. So, um, why don't well, we, I've got, I've got one more thing I would like to fine, discuss if fine. you were going to take us out of the episode. Well, this is, this is a conversation. This is a conversation together. And, um, you know, it, it's funny that you talk about like inequality because I, I think one of the, one of the fundamentally most interesting things about inequality is that it, it erodes trust in society. And one of the notes that I had, I had taken during this was that like, you know, uh, trust is the foundation of society and is necessary for like society to function. And, and I think when people see, you know, all of this wealth accumulated for doing fucking nothing. And didn't you mention earlier that, um, like you're taxed more for hard work than you are on investments? Yeah. The, the tax on capital gains tops out at 20%. And obviously like, you know, we pay more, uh, many of us pay more for that, for your income tax. And so, uh, and the extremely wealthy people make most of their money in capital gains. Like Jeff Bezos isn't paid, you know, however many billion dollars in cash, he's paid in stock. And so when the stock goes up, his wealth goes up. Um, but yeah, and almost none of that gets taxed. So it's just like, you know, when, when we see that happen, like we, we lose faith in, in society and like legal justice is, I think the mechanism that we have at our disposal that allows us to create trust in our society. But as we've increasingly seen, like it's weird to see social trust be uh, eroded beyond just like the polarization inequality thing. Like you, when, when you don't have faith in the society that you, you live in, it's like you, you almost become unmoored. It's, it's a weird time to, to be an American. 
Yeah, it's a crazy time. I feel like we say we're doomsayers all the time about everything, but maybe things just yeah. suck. I don't know. But like, I feel like <laughs> as soon as we get in front of these microphones, we're like, things feel really bad. And I, and I, in no other context than this, I, I think the inequality we're experiencing now is probably the biggest harbinger of bad things to come than anything else we've ever talked about. I really do believe that if we do not somehow make actual institutional change and begin regulating financial markets, uh, I, I think that that will be the eventual end of democracy in the West. And, you know, it, it, it's funny. Uh, I, I know we're nearing the end here, but um, to, to end on like a high note, the the promising thing is that at least now we're having like our generation, especially I feel uh, are having like sincere earnest conversations about addressing these issues and realizing that like the, the problem is the way that the economy has been like rigged. So it's like, at least, at least now the curtain has been drawn back. It just depends on, on, you know, what actions are, are, are taken in the next, I don't know, when we spoke with Jake Hanrahan, probably in the next two years to see if we can keep the fucking, you know, Trumpism from resurging in 2022. Um, but I mean, at least like we're not in the dark. Like we, we can at least see what's going on, which, which I think is helpful. I think it's beneficial to helping people make informed decisions about how to fix these problems. So it's like if we have to end on like a, a high note or on a bright side, uh, at least we're like uh, the rug hasn't been like pulled out from under us. Right. Like we're not just like, oh, fuck, we're all poor now. And like uh, living in Jeff Bezos capital, like uh, like ca capital castle, um, techno feudalism is back and it's here to stay. And working on Elon Musk's like Mars mines. Um, so it's like I, I do have a hope that we can, you know, uh, make these corrections because, um, you know, we're aware. So, and that's that's like the first step. So I guess I guess we'll just we'll just see, you know, I do see what you're saying. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, it's coming. I don't share your hope and optimism. I don't think we have the political will to make the change. Uh, OK, well, you know what? I don't either. I'm just lying to make the listeners <laughs> feel good. <laughs> well, fuck, man. I think we need to motivate through terror. I think we need to. <laughs> we need... <laughs> Let's become terrorists. Oh, no, Ian. No. Al Qaeda butt I'm... plug fun. Here we come. <laughs> God. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and let our, our sponsor take it away. We'll come back with our big smart boy questions for this week and see where we're at with that. Uh, sponsor, what do you want to sell us? The average American sees up to 10,000 ads a day. And as a small business owner, how do you break through the noise to make your brand stand out? Introducing the ISIS butt plug font the only font guaranteed to attract the attention and ire of every conceivable demographic. But how does the ISIS butt plug font work? It's simple. The average consumer will double take at what initially appears to be ISIS recruitment propaganda, only to breathe a sigh of relief that it's actually just an ad for their local family-owned Italian restaurant or humble Christian furniture store. Now that's a plug. ISIS butt plug font. Seriously, try not thinking about it. It's not a moral sponsor, but uh, if this camp has taught us anything, it's that, well, frankly, that doesn't matter. Um, they paid us, fuck you. 
So, Shay, as is custom on Camp Education, it is time to see if we did a good enough job answering our big smart boy questions for the week. Um, yours was, what role does the middle class play in, in Wall Street? Like, what is their, is their job? Like, do they, do they benefit? Are they, are, they, are they there to be rubes? Are they there to, uh, you know, uh, improve their, their standing? You know, what is the conclusion you arrived at? I think in the most dystopian way possible, the the reason that the middle class is even still allowed to access the financial markets is to create the illusion of a democratic type of financial institution where it's not just the rich strong arming each other uh, to make more money out of nothing. I think it's like the illusion is like, well, you're technically allowed to join. You can do whatever. Um, you know, as I say that, uh, that's too much. Maybe that's too much. Because <laughs> like, I've certainly made some money uh, in since since COVID happened, which is also like kind of fucked up. But like, the market is like swelling so insane. Like, it's clearly a fucking bubble. But like, what do you? Well, we bet against it, as we've learned from but this th episode. But you know what? It costs money to bet against it. Like, that's the thing. You can't just you can't just say like, I will bet against the market. You have to sustain it. And if you bet against the market, it's harder than betting for the market because you bet against it. You have uh, theoretically infinite losses because the market has no top, whereas it does have a bottom. So your losses can always bottom out at zero if you're if you're investing in the market and if you're investing against it. You can you can lose forever. You can go into infinite debt, which is wow terrifying. This nothing has made me want to you know pack my bags and and run out to Wall Street faster than this episode. I can't wait to get involved in, in stock market and investing. <laughs> well, just don't um, just don't short. But what I do want to I do want to say one more thing about the um, about the middle class and its role. I think that the middle class is increasingly less relevant in the stock markets. I think that there's less of an influence as the financial sector continues to grow. Their role, I think, is shrinking compared to hedge funds. And I don't know that for a fact, but that's at least the impression I'm getting. And if there's one thing I've learned from, from the stock market is that the underlying truth isn't actually as relevant as the stories were told. So you can tell a story about a stock and that will move a stock regardless of, of what it, what is true or what is not. And so I think the impression I have is at least somewhat relevant and somewhat valid in that in an investing framework. And uh, hopefully that's as terrifying for you as it is for me. Definitely uh, don't vote for Trump in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I couldn't have put it better myself. Anyway, uh, so um, no, I think I think that's very well stated. Your your like concern and concern, <laughs> your concern and doomerism uh, only compounds my anxiety about it because I don't know anything. So the, the sheer fact that like you're like, I've looked at the numbers; they're not good. Makes me go, well, I haven't looked at the numbers. I just thought they were bad, but I didn't. When you tell me they're bad, I, I get even more worried. Well, I'm um, certainly not an expert. I don't want to pretend like I like I know all of the I, I know very little. But well, you know I'm what's so afraid. funny is like the, the the one of the brokers that I spoke to off the record was basically like, well, I can't go on the record because I can't be seen as like, you know, uh, 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 like confounded as, as an expert or something like that. Uh, and it's just like, OK, well, so like on the record, you can't be seen as an expert. But like when I go in your money, when I go into your office and give you my money to invest, then you're an expert. Yeah, that's fucking alarming. Well, yeah, okay. I know. I was, I was like, <laughs> what? No, take that back. I don't want to I don't want to hear that. Um so my big smart point question this week was essentially like, how accurate is the media depiction of what's going on? Um, and you know, what's so funny is like 
police brutality continues even in the upper echelons because if Wolf of Wall Street taught me anything, it's just that you should pay attention to the fact that they just arrested, the FBI just arrested the poorest rich person. So it's like, that's the lesson of that fucking movie. Yeah, and no one went to fucking jail during, or I guess like, wait, did anyone go to jail during the 2008 financial crisis? Like no oh, one, right? I'm talking about the Wolf of, the Wolf of Wall Street thing, like the, the penny stocks traders got, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. like one guy went to jail but or still, some shit. But think, like, think about that. Think about the fact that, dude, if you, if, if anyone went and robbed of any of those fucking banks like and took like I don't know $20,000 they'd go to jail maybe for the rest of their life you know depending on where yeah. you do it and if you use a gun or whatnot but mm. the fucking people who bankrupted the entire fucking country doing things that were completely fraudulent like yeah. fucking insurance fraud like they nothing nothing in fact they got bonuses that yeah. that's infuriating no and in in um what was i going to say in uh you know wall street with uh, michael douglas and charlie sheen uh you know they both went to jail in fucking you know wolf of wall street he goes to jail so there's this fantasy in Hollywood about the stock market that like, you know, um, like it'll, it'll always come around to bite you in the ass. But the reality is it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't and yeah, it's, it's like a uh, God of war with Nicolas Cage where he like sells fucking arms to, uh, you know, like these rivaling villages at behest of the government to create instability so that it can invade the region and like send Halliburton stock shooting to the fucking moon. Mm. Um, it's it, like that's that's really what what happens. Like all of these fucking people walk off scot free, and not only do they walk off scot free, but um, they they do it with uh, you know mil hundreds of millions of dollars of bonuses of our fucking money. And the thing that was most upsetting to me in all of this was I, I saw through some documentaries some of the footage of the uh, trials of some of these fucking bankers that essentially manufactured the you know 2008 financial crisis and like carl levin couldn't even get them to be like this sucks he would he was like reading them emails where they're basically saying like let's sell these let's dump these dog shit shares onto these fucking you know dipshitted shithead consumers um and he's like do you don't do you feel bad about this like it doesn't isn't this awful for people and I had to sit there and like watch these fucking bankers with their shit eating grins be like, that sucks that that email got written. And then people in the audience fucking we'll laughing, laugh. yeah. just eating it up, just fucking enjoying the show. And it's just like, we've f <sighs> watching these fucking people grin, like knowing they were untouchable as like, not only could we not punishment punish them, but it, it's just like the fucking, you know, politicians that they bought and paid for you know, also surprised, like, well, fuck, I didn't know that this was the law that you had written. I didn't realize that this was the fucking outcome. So it's just like, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's the gap. That's the gap is that in, in all of these fucking movies, there's justice, but in, in reality, there is none. It's a, it's a fantastical concept. Yeah, so hopefully next week we'll, we'll have the opportunity to look for a more hopeful response to all of this doomsdayerism or whatever you call it, doomerism or whatever you Doomer, call it. Doomerism is, I think, the term I used. I don't, I don't know if that's the actual term. I love it. Um, but I, I do just feel like as, as so, even though we have a small platform, it's still a platform. And I, and I feel like there's a responsibility that comes along with that to uh, take to at least make this disclaimer that you should take everything I say with a grain of salt. Um, 
Uh, I, I I believe everything I'm saying, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily true. Do your research. Like, look into this. Fucking read about this. Read about fucking income inequality, wealth inequality, and tell me if you share the same concerns. And if you don't, please let me know because I I don't want to be as terrified as I am, but I am. So if you if you have anything to add, please definitely reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter. You can always send us an email. We have a, a contact form on our website. There are so many ways to get in contact. A lot of you have been doing that, and it's been actually really amazing. So, um, Ian, anything else you want to say about this or next week's episode? Yeah, I would just like to add, like, I know Shay's uh, caveat is to take everything he says with a grain of salt, but everything that I say is part of a, a healthy, balanced diet. So, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> eat it uh, uh, to your heart's content. Um, you'll be fine. You'll live forever. Uh, we, we will both never die. Um, no, uh, yeah, I, I hope that we can. I, I wonder who our experts are going to be. Uh, I mean, a I'm already uh, a tad bit concerned because like I said, I couldn't even get brokers to speak to me about like what some of this investment stuff is generally. Like I literally just wanted to ask questions about like, what do you do? And they were, they were like, oh, if I talk to you about it, I'll get fired, That's... which is alarming. Like if I had invited a teacher on and they were like, oh, I teach arithmetic. And then the next day they lost their job. We would be like, That's suspicious. That's fucking sus. So, you know, definitely stay tuned for next week's episode. Uh, who knows where we'll end up? Uh, all I know is that we've got this week's featured artist for you. I think I can hear them queuing up in the background. So without further ado, here is the Millennial Club with their song, Feel the Same. Maybe this is heaven. Maybe that's just you. I don't trust my judgment because I'm just 22. When my run circles, my heart is out in the rain. I know that this is sudden, but do you feel the same? episode to hear the captain's logs in their entirety become a monthly supporter and join our patreon where you'll also get tons of other fun goodies here at camp we hate the stock market but we love supporting music and the people who make it if you want your music featured on camp re-education then please go to our website to learn more stay tuned next week for the exciting conclusion of wall street camp next week for lack of a better word
on camp re-education. Shay, I'm telling you, we can invest in this song. It's a security. It's so good. How much do you want to bet this song just keeps getting better? You're not, you're not giving me a number. I need a number, Shay. Shay? Oh my God, Shay!